My name is Evan Lutz. I'm the CEO and founder of Hungry Harvest, and I'm with SoFlo Vegans. Welcome back to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell. And on this episode, we have Evan Lutz from Hungry Harvest. And if you've been listening to this podcast for the last couple of episodes, you probably have heard Hungry Harvest several times. And that's for a good reason. They are the sponsors for the majority of this season. And it's because of them we've been able to do really great things for this community, support local businesses, nonprofits, and also provide valuable information through this here podcast so thank you so much for listening we appreciate you also on this podcast we have dr will bolsowitz who joins us this is actually a clip from a previous podcast and you can listen to the whole thing at go soflowvegans.com slash podcast here and dr will talks about the gut of course and how fiber helps you and we dip a little bit into COVID 19 so Continue listening all the way to the end. We appreciate you and enjoy this episode. You are listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. Let us know a little bit about um, your organization, Hungry Harvest, and what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate talking through environmental issues and food. I love talking about food. So it's it's really great to uh, to be chatting with you today. So Hungry Harvest is a produce delivery service on a mission to fight food waste and hunger. Um, We're a team full of people that really care about how much food is being wasted in the United States and really see the food insecurity issue uh, in the United States as a solvable problem that just takes some some care and some thoughts and some action. Um, And so what we do is we source produce that otherwise would be thrown away uh, from farms, from packing houses, from wholesalers, up and down the East Coast, mainly focused in the Southeast, around Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, sometimes the Mid-Atlantic. And we deliver it to our subscribers' homes once a week. Uh, they can choose what they want in the box. They can choose more of what they like, less of what they don't like. They can add different items like bread and eggs and other marketplace items that also have a really good impact or recovery story. And for every box we get, we deliver to you, we also help somebody in need eat healthy. Um, so really, it's it's a it's a great way for consumers to be activists just by eating fruits and vegetables, right? And it's uh, it's it's really been a, a quite a journey that we've been on the past six and a half years. I think we've been in Miami and the South Florida area about uh, about three years or so, coming up on three and a half. Um, and it's been exciting. I started this basically uh, out of college as as a as a classroom project. Um, out of the University of Maryland, just selling uh, a local farmer's recovered produce out of out of my basement dorm room, and uh, that blossoms really into and where we are today in in eight cities or so, and been in Miami for again about three and a half years. So pretty excited to be talking with you today. And we're excited to be. I'm speaking with you as well. And you mentioned it was a classroom project, mm-hmm. and um, so. What made, and I'm sure, what was the prompt? So like, how did you come up with that idea for the classroom project? My entire life, I've been really fascinated by social entrepreneurship. I think business is when engineered properly can be one of the greatest tools to create impact um, on the planet. And I, my senior year at University of Maryland, we actually, I was in a class that we actually had to start a social enterprise a business that 
had real revenues and had real, you know, real plan and also made real authentic impacts. Um, earlier in the semester, I had heard about a local farm that was struggling to sell their produce. And I heard this farmer talk about why it went to waste. I went out to visit their farm and I couldn't tell the difference between the produce he was going to sell to, to me uh, that was otherwise going to go to waste uh, and the produce he was selling to his normal you know, retail clients and grocery stores and, and CSA customers. You know, the peppers were suntanned, right? They were half, re- half green and half red and the apples were a little bit uh, funny, sh- funny sizes and funny shapes, um, not all uniform, but they still tasted really good. And the sugar snap peas had a little bit of mechanical, you know, wind damage on them, but they were still delicious. And I couldn't believe that all this produce was going to go to waste. I could buy it for a discount and sell it and turn it around really quickly. And so that's uh, one thing turned into the next. I hired some interns and got some volunteers, uh, put up some ads about a little farm stand, sold five, pound, five pounds for five bucks. And I was hauling, you know, 50 pound bags of onions up and down uh, the stairs and <laughs> doing basically everything myself until we you know, got later, got some traction and got a team together to help me uh, run the stand. But sooner uh, in the later in the semester, about six months in, we had about 500 customers per week just selling one farmer's recovered produce. And at the time, I was doing a lot of research on food waste in the United States and how this was not just a single farmer, farmer's problem. This is pretty universal that 20 to 30 percent of produce just gets left on the farm um, because it's not you know good enough for uh, uh, for retail. So I think there's a big problem with that. Started a home delivery service back in 2014 and one neighborhood outside of Washington, D.C. And we've expanded to about uh, 80 employees or so in about eight cities uh, since then in, in six and a half years. So when you were at the University of Maryland, were what were you there for? What was your major? Uh, I was a business major. Okay, which which makes sense why you would have that project. So how did that, in terms of scaling the idea? Because just thinking about the concept itself is like wow, that you know it's a great concept. And do you did you did you face any difficulties with pe- the stigma of bruised fruit? Like people not being, showing resistance to the idea. Like how did you overcome that obstacle? I'm sure it existed. Yeah, it was really tough. Uh, you're hitting on a really, uh, one of the hardest parts of getting off the grounds. Back in 2013, 2014, nobody really heard of the you know ugly produce movement. It wasn't really a big thing. Uh, food waste was not really a, a talked about issue in the United States and certainly not really in the food economy today. It's, you know, you can't go to a single food conference without that being brought up in, in a panel or two. Um, but when we first started selling, actually, we, we told people that this was recovered food. We didn't really advertise it before people got to the stands, but at the stand, we told people it was, um, and they couldn't believe it. Just like my, they had the same reaction that I did when I went out to the farm, they couldn't believe how quality it was. And the fact that all this was going to wait, going to waste was, really a travesty for a lot of folks um, at college who were very much into the environment and creating a better food system as you know, most of our customers uh, are uh, choosing to opt in. So, you know, kept trying to convince people um, to sign up for a produce delivery service. Well, and also when we launched at the time, that wasn't really a, a, a popular option. There was a very small percentage of Americans that actually ordered groceries online on a weekly basis. 
Um, and so one, getting people to order groceries online and being delivered was hard, but two, telling them it was recovered was even more challenging. And so we, we kind of put boots on the ground, literally. Uh, we went door to door in uh, Tacoma Park, Washington, D.C., and uh, Baltimore, um, and knocked on a lot of doors, talked to people, told them about our issues, went to a lot of different events. You know, we didn't actually run our first digital advertising until probably about a year in or so. Uh, we really just re relied on talking to folks and getting referrals and getting them to, to have their friends sign up um, as our first uh, sort of form of growth. And one thing led to another, and that's that's how we that's how we got started. It's really tough at first. So our audience is comprised of a lot of different um, individuals. We have business owners. We have people who just want to get information on their health, find good deals, what have you. So um, I appreciate you answering these more business specific questions. It's sure. actually supporting me a lot. So um, th this is the last one that I want to switch over into um, move closer towards the present. Um, and scaling the operations, you started off in um, in in the in the in the Delaware area, uh, Maryland, yeah, Maryland in, Mar in Maryland, and then you went to with DC, and then you kind of expanded out. So, like, at what point, like, what what were the markers for your business that you realized it was the time to go to a different market? Great question. It's always been our vision to expand farther throughout the country. There's a lot of food insecurity and food waste happening everywhere. And, and our vision is to make kind of a, a centralized on making sure food is not left behind and people are not left out of the food system in each locale that we're in. Um, and so we're, you know, in each city market that we're in, we're working with various organizations to help reduce food insecurity. So in Miami, we're working with the Lotus House Women's Shelter, for example, and, you know, a different place in Raleigh and different place in Detroit. Um, as just an example and the to get to, to the answer to your question you know we really need to get our supply chain down and our business fundamentals down um so we're at the point where we had consistent buying patterns we had consistent ways to onboard our drivers that make our deliveries we had consistent ways to do assembly and we could find partners in each market that could um, make our boxes um, that was at the point when we had all those processes uh kind of down pat in an sop uh, standard operating procedure. That's when we made the decision that expansion was was in our future. Um, took uh, you know a few years to get to that point. If I'm being completely honest, we had a lot of things to figure out when we were getting off the ground. As we we're just trying to grow and, and educate customers about what we were doing. Um, but once we really got the word out and got some of our processes into a good state, uh, that's that's when we chose to to expand. And and that's it's so refreshing to hear that because uh, I'm sure you learned a lot of that in, in in while you're in school and what have you. But for me, I'm just coming to the realization of what you just described, and it's such a powerful way of having having clarity on what you're creating and being able to create that duplicatable process to be able to do things like that. So to hear you say that, I'm so glad our audience is going to. Um, to get that. So like I said, I wanted to go a little bit into the present and you mentioned back then people weren't really buying groceries online, maybe it, maybe here or there, but it wasn't as big as it is now, especially with everything that we're experiencing. So how has Hungry Harvest fared during 2020 with everything that's going on? We've been very lucky to have seen an increase in demands uh, over the past uh, since COVID started, since you know beginning of March, 
in April when things started shut down and people were kind of hesitant to go to the grocery store. And so we, we saw a lot of people kind of flocking to our service and so much so that in the beginning two months of COVID, we actually could not take any more orders because we were at capacity. Um, now we fixed that and we're accepting new signups uh, again and, and our, our business is doing well. And uh, I guess we're um, one of very, very few companies to uh, seen sort of a, 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 an increase in demand since COVID. But again, we're pretty lucky to be in this spot um, where we have food to really distribute to people and, and make, for, make sure people can feel safe, you know, getting delivery at their home and still reliable, uh, get, get fresh produce. Um, so 2020 has been a, a terrible year for the world. Uh, I guess a, a better year for uh, less food waste and um, at least recovered by uh, through Hungry Harvest. So you mentioned um, that for every box that is sold, um, it it goes towards something. Um, it goes towards helping someone who is in need of being healthy. Could you go a little bit more into that? Like, what does that look like if Sean Russell purchases a box? Um, what would be the next step in that journey? Yeah. We, we have a few programs uh, that I'd like to highlight that help folks that are in food insecurity actually get access to, to healthy food. So the first is donations, and we have a donation partner in each market. Um, I, I think I mentioned before the Lotus House Women's Shelter that we donate to on a weekly basis. We also donate to a few different um, uh, other organizations, such as the Miami Debate Urban, uh, the Miami Urban Debate League, and the Blue Scholars Initiative and Surf Rider and the Clio Institute um, that we also donate to in, uh, in in the South Florida area, um, who help you know distribute produce to to those in need and have other clientele that that really can help fight food insecurity. Um, and we do do that in each market that we're in. But also the the other program I want to mention is called Produce in a Snap, and this is a market that uh, isn't in Miami quite yet, but we're working on getting it down there. Uh, COVID kind of threw a wrench in our plans for us to expand this program down in South Florida. Um, right now it's in a few of our other markets. Basically we have low cost um, markets in areas of high food insecurity, more commonly known as food deserts, where we're selling the same produce we're selling in our normal at-home subscription box uh, that gets delivered to our customers' doors each week, um, just for at cost basically, or at very, very low cost. Uh, and by putting it in, putting these stands in, uh, in food deserts, it's actually providing like a very small, uh, but, and consistent and affordable way for people to get fresh produce. Now it's not, you know, the 30,000 SKU grocery store, right? We only sell maybe 10 to 15 to 20 different SKUs of, of produce and some other items every week. Um, but that is a, a really good way for folks that do have income and do have, um, kind of means to get produce, but don't have access to a grocery store to actually purchase produce on a consistent basis. And we found that food insecurity is not just people that have no money. Actually, there are a lot of people that are food insecure that have full-time jobs or part-time jobs that don't really want to rely on a, on a food shelter or, uh, or emergency food distribution uh, for their meals every week. And they're just looking for a consistent solution. And so that's kind of talking to the community uh, in Baltimore um, and some folks that were suffering from food insecurity and as we were developing this program, that's kind of what, what led us down this path of, of let's partner with a bunch of different places, such as schools, hospital systems, community centers located in food deserts to set up these farm stands on a weekly basis. 
And uh, like I said, they're not in Miami quite yet, but you know, COVID kind of threw a wrench in those and we'll, we'll probably uh, expand down there soon. And with everything that's been going on, how have you seen the need for this type of services in the markets that you service? Have you noticed an uptick or like what has been the general pulse? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, with COVID, a lot of people were out of work. Um, we saw a huge uptick in demand for services for donations and subsidized produce boxes uh, in the beginning of COVID. We actually formed a new initiative. It was called the Alternative Food Box, uh, the Emergency Food Box, um, are, are two names for it. We're basically a partner with different hospitals um, and other uh, organizations where they purchase produce from us um, in you know ready to distribute boxes and then distribute them to, for free to their clientele. Uh, so so the people that are getting those boxes don't have to pay anything. Um, and since that we started that in in the beginning of COVID, we served about I think I think about seventy thousand boxes or so uh, to folks in need through partnerships with uh, area hospitals and other organ organizations. So it's been um, it's been really unfortunate to see the the demand for low cost or no cost produce uh, increase with COVID, um, but we're lucky we've been in a position to to help with that. So, I mean, as the visionary of your organization, where do you see Hungry Harvest in the next five years? Yeah, we're we're really we're really keen on expanding our geography um, to more cities, you know, further into the southeast and midwest. Uh, we're currently in eight different cities, from Detroit all the way down to Miami. Um, we're going to kind of expand our geographic footprint, but also we're really going to double down on on our mission um, and find more ways to fight food waste more ways to fight food insecurity. Uh, we love you know, starting different programs and having them be really innovative in terms of like what they're doing and how they're solving uh, different areas of, you know, creating a more efficient food system. Um, and then the final thing is, is we want to expand uh, kind of the features of our, our, our product for our customers. Um, our customers are really our number one focus all the time. And we're really obsessed with, how they like the the program and their feedback, and we get a lot of a lot of feedback every single week from our customers, and trying to incorporate that into whatever we're introducing out into the uh, next stages of our product. So we're really going to double down on the customer feedback and making sure they're satisfied with future iterations of of our service. If someone's listening or watching this right now, and they're like really energized about your mission of what you're creating and want to be involved in some way, what are some opportunities that are available for them? You can always sign up at, at hungryharvest.net uh, and get a box of produce uh, that, uh, and, and subscribe to us. Um, we don't have a ton of volunteer opportunities at this time. Uh, we, we usually typically don't. We can recommend certainly some, uh, uh, some nonprofits, um, specifically in South Florida. We want to shout out I think for a third time today, the Lotus House Women's Shelter, which is an unbelievable organization that does really great things for um, women that are experiencing homelessness or women that uh, have, have children that uh, need a little bit of help, uh, just find their feet again. And they have really good volunteer opportunities. We're happy to partner with them on a weekly basis to help them get fresh produce. Um, and uh, you know, since COVID hit, we haven't had too many opportunities our way, but uh, that might change moving forward as the world you know, sort of gets back to normal, hopefully sometime soon. And is there anything that's coming up or any initiatives or any current initiatives that you wanna highlight that maybe we didn't discuss? 
Um, I don't, I don't think so at, at this point. I mean, you know, in a normal world, we, we, we would be participating in a ton of events um, around the vegan community in South Florida, such as Vegandale Festival and the Miami Vegan Block Party and some other places uh, that are really awesome for, a lot, I'm sure a lot of uh, SoFlo vegans uh, have, have been to or follow. Um, so we'll, we'll be attending those events again in the future. Uh, but, you know, as, as COVID has kind of put a damper on what kind of events can happen, um, we haven't really been participating in, in quite so many recently. Okay. And um, and this last bit, um, we're winding down right now. Um, if you could give a message to our audience, like if I were to pull this one minute clip and it's gonna say everything you wanted to say about Hungry Harvest, this is that segment. So if you need uh, a couple of seconds, if you need a couple of seconds or if you have it, then it would be your floor, one minute message to our community, whatever you want to say. Yeah, Hungry Harvest is really keen on creating a more inclusive food system, one where people are not left out, food is not left behind. We believe in healthy eating, we believe in fresh fruits and vegetables and the power of eating things that are really good for your body um, and how much that can make a change in your life and your health and your lifestyle as well. And we believe that the 20 billion pounds of produce that are going to waste every single year in the United States uh, is, is wrong, as well as you know, the, the 49 million Americans that are food insecure. Um, we believe there's a way to, to help a lot of those folks. And so by signing up for Hungry Harvest, you really are making a dent in, in helping reduce food waste for every box we deliver to you. You're getting a lot of produce that otherwise would go to waste that's perfectly fresh, that to, the uncrained, you know, to your eyes, will probably be fresher and, and more visually appearing, appealing than anything you can find in a farmer's market or a grocery store. And you can customize what you like. Um, you can you know, refer your friends for to get credit for them and for you. And you can also help um, help us you know, contribute to donations that we're making on behalf of you to various organizations throughout the cities that we're in, including Lotus Women's Shelter uh, here in South Florida. So that's uh, that's kind of the the spiel of Hungry Harvest, and we'd love for you to join our service and give us a try. And where can they find more information about Hungry Harvest? You can find more information about Hungry Harvest at hungryharvest.net. Spotlight commencing in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys. Dr. Will Bolsowitz here. I am the author of Fiber Fueled. I am so excited because today I'm with SoFlow Vegans. I think that this is one of the most important parts of my entire book, Sean, which is that it's one thing for me to show you the gut. It's another thing for me to say that your gut benefits from fiber and a plant-based diet. But what about the person who's vegan who says, I got gut issues and I'm thinking about quitting veganism because I don't feel like I can tolerate these foods, right? Yeah. And what's going on there? And this is chapter five. This is actually Garth Davis's favorite chapter in my book. When he wrote up my uh, recommendation, he mm -hmm. wrote chapter five of my book to say, the doctor has an entire chapter about how to deal with food sensitivity. People who eat these foods and they get gas, bloating, some abdominal discomfort, maybe diarrhea or constipation, that is not inflammation. You have been taught that it's inflammation. It's not, you know what it is? It's sloppy digestion. 
it's sloppy digestion. digestion and it's your body adapting to the food and you're trying to do more than you should probably do in one particular sitting. I want people, and this is something I talk about in the book. I want people to think about their gut like a muscle, right? So when we think about muscle, we think about number one, it can be trained. Number two, it can get stronger. Number three, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? If you stop training it, it's going to get weaker. And number four, when you're using your gut as a muscle, when you exercise, there is some pain. And it's not saying that you necessarily embrace the pain. What I'm saying is you want to hit the sweet spot. The sweet spot in exercise is when you're doing a workout and it's addictive and you feel fantastic and you're not getting that insane soreness. The sweet spot, when you go past the sweet spot and you go too far, is like me or you going to the gym and grabbing three times the amount of weight that we're capable of lifting and then trying to lift that. What's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt yourself when you do too much all at once. Exercise is good for us when we're in the sweet spot. Exercise is not good for us when we're doing something that could hurt ourselves. And so when it comes to these foods, whether you're talking about beans or whole grains or gluten, those are some of the heavy hitters in a plant-based diet, right? And what I'm telling people is if you get that discomfort, it's not that you should eliminate this from your diet. Your gut gets weaker by eliminating it. Instead, what you should do is understand the approach of how to slowly introduce it over the course of time, just exercise your gut and make it stronger. So introduce it a little bit at a time. Is that what you're saying? Like yes. a little bit. Okay. That, but the thing is that a lot of people don't want to deal with that because they, nobody wants to deal with gas. Nobody wants to deal with bloating. Those are things that are kind of embarrassing and I, for what I've noticed, a lot of GIs don't say that. Like, you know what? You will have these symptoms. Give it a couple, what, days, weeks for your stomach to settle? Well, yeah. And so, all of these are great points. My book has a four-week plan. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I chose four weeks, like, it would have been easier for me to do a 10-day plan, honestly. Mm-hmm. The reason why I chose four weeks is because we have all of these different studies that you'll see in the book that basically show us that in four weeks, we can make a radical change to our microbiome. And so from my perspective, what I want people to understand is, no, I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to have a ridiculous amount of gas. What we need to do is we need to tweak your diet so that you can start to introduce these things and make that better. And over the course of time, that gas will go away. We have studies that prove that. That gas will go away. Your body will become better at processing and digesting it. Yeah. That sloppy digestion gets replaced by a healthy, strong gut that not only is able to process and digest your food, but it's also able to reward you with all the health benefits throughout your body. With health benefits, now that we can get into that, because thank you for saying that, it, we need to bring it back to the crisis that we're having with COVID-19. Because yeah. you mentioned that your gut and your gut microbe is helping with the immune system. Yeah. But another conversation that we were having off camera is that you've been noticing that a lot of these patients are coming back positive, but they didn't come with respiratory issues. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I think it's important for people to understand this virus can present in so many different ways. And it, it, it's like it's almost like it's got a um, mask where it can cover itself up and pretend to be something that it's not. Oh, right. So, yeah. And so what I mean by that is this virus, we are told, causes fever and a cough. Right. But you could have a runny nose and a sore throat and think it's your allergies and it could be this virus. You could have body aches 
All right, you can have body aches and a low-grade fever and think that it's the flu and it's actually the coronavirus. And then from my perspective as a GI doctor, you could have diarrhea, loss of appetite, nausea, abdominal pain. You could think it's a stomach bug. And it turns out that that stomach bug is not just any old bug, it's the coronavirus. And I've seen this in a number of patients that they actually don't get the respiratory symptoms, which is a good thing. I don't want them to because the respiratory symptoms are a sign of greater concern. But understand that if you develop what you think is a stomach bug, you need to keep your distance from other people because you have the potential to infect other people. Interesting. Yeah. And in my practice as a cath lab nurse, because I'm sometimes in the emergency room, most of these patients are already with respiratory issues that are coming up positive. But then sometimes I'm getting called in the middle of the night for a heart attack for code heart and they have tested positive yep. and you see damage to their heart. So yep. it seems like this virus is manifesting itself in many different organ systems. It's manifesting itself in many different organ, organ systems. And the three main organ systems that you're going to see are the lungs, uh-huh. the gut, yes. and the heart. And the reason why it has to do with actually some of the science behind the virus. So we are talking about like learning the science behind this virus so that we know how to con- basically how to adapt ourselves. The virus has this thing on its surface called a spike protein. And the spike protein is designed to attach itself to this specific receptor in the body called ACE2. ACE2 is most highly concentrated in the lungs. Mm -hmm. The second highest concentration is in the gut. You also find ACE2 in the heart. So the bottom line is that this is the port of entry for the virus into the body is through this receptor. And the reason why you see seen attacking this or these organs, the lungs, the gut, the heart is because that's where these ACE2 receptors exist, allowing the virus to affect us. Now, and what a lot of people don't understand, um, the, the virus is not a new virus. It's actually a strand of a bigger family of the same, which we've seen before in the past in the early 2000s, like SARS, I think in, um, the Arab world, it is known something camel. MERS, yep, MERS. So those Middle Eastern uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome (MERS). Mm-hmm. So we saw SARS in two thousand three. Yes. SARS was most similar to this, but the, there's a couple differences. SARS was nasty. Mm-hmm. Nasty. I mean, I'm talking like one in three people who got it died. Okay. But the difference was it was so nasty that if you got it, you knew you had it. And you would get out of the way and stop infecting other people. Okay. The problem with this one is a lot of people who have it, they don't know that they have it. It's like we said, you could be having gut issues and not even realize that you got this. And then you spread it to another person. And some people who get this current coronavirus that we have, which we're calling SARS-2, by the way. Okay. Some people who have this current coronavirus, some of them are going to get really, really, really sick. Most of them are not, but some of them are gonna get really, really sick. So that's why we wanna shut down the spread of this virus. MERS was a little bit different. MERS was exclusively in the Middle East, all right? It did spread a little bit outside, but MERS did not really have human to human transmission. It was transmitted from camel to human. So we talk about physical distancing. So when MERS happened, which was in 2012, Mm-hmm. You could physically distance yourself from your camel, which isn't hard for us to do in the United States. 
then you can protect yourself from actually getting MERS. So once they realized this, that it was coming from the camel to the human in the Middle East, they were able to create that separation and start to protect themselves from the virus. What makes SARS number two, this current coronavirus so nasty is this combination of stealth, of aggressive spread. It's more aggressive than the flu, meaning that you can see how fast it spreads. It went from, you know, January 22nd, we had one person in the United States and now we have 300 million. I'm sorry, we have 300,000 cases. You know, we have 300,000 cases. You know, that's how quickly it spreads. And then what you have is you have this combination where some people don't know they have it and they're spreading it. And some people don't know that they're spreading it and then they get really, really sick. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this particularly challenging. And so since we don't know who actually has the virus, the only way for us to protect ourselves is number one, physical distancing. Mm -hmm. Number two, wash your hands like crazy. Mm -hmm. And number three, support your immune system. And to me, the solution to number three is to optimize your gut because you can't separate the gut from your immune system. 70% of your immune system lives in your gut, 70%. And so when you optimize gut health, you are still optimizing immune health. It's literally the same thing. How can you optimize this gut health? Well, the the book is literally the playbook. The book is the full, you know, sharing it all, including the four week plan. If you're looking for one simple rule, there's one simple rule above all else for me, which is diversity of plants. And mm -hmm. whether you're vegan, you are not vegan. On your show, I would imagine many, most of your listeners probably are vegan. But this is an opportunity for all vegans to optimize and improve their diet. It's not just about eating the foods that you love. It's not just about being vegan. It's not even just about being whole food plant-based. It's about being whole food plant-based and making sure that you get a wide variety of plants. Let me give you an example. Super simple recipe, okay? I mean, in our family, we're not like sitting around spending you know 90 minutes cooking dinner. We're a normal family like everyone else. We'll have pasta, all right? And we will do an organic whole wheat penne, like a pasta. Mm -hmm. And you could throw tomato sauce on top, all right? And that's two plants. That's organic wheat and that's tomato sauce. And here's what we'll do in our family. Add some onions, add some garlic, Add some mushrooms, maybe some maybe some squash or zucchini, and then smash some smash some fresh herbs on top. Get the basil going, get some parsley going or some oregano, right? And you just went from a meal with two plants to a meal that's got like eight, mm -hmm. and you're supporting a healthy gut, a healthy gut microbiome, which means that you're supporting your healthy immune system. We want to thank you for listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Make sure you go to SoFlowVegans.com slash podcast to see and listen to all of our past episodes as well as look at our directory. That is one of the coolest things we have on our website. It shows you hundreds and hundreds of resources. If you're local, restaurants. If you're not local, documentaries, podcasts. As we find them, we're adding them to the site. And the cool thing is through the podcast and a lot of the videos and events that we've done, we've collected some really cool exclusive content featuring a lot of these individuals and businesses. So not only do you get the information and links to their websites and social, but you also get some unique, interesting content 
that you can see as well. So go to soulflowvegans.com slash directory. And then while you're there, why not support SoFlow Vegans? Become a part of our community, whether you're a business, an individual, live in South Florida, don't live in South Florida. There's something for everyone. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we look forward to seeing you on the flip side. Yeah, trying it out. Don't know if it's going to work. We're going to go with it. See you later.